What's up, Dub Nation? This is the We Believe Golden State Warriors basketball podcast, a sports ethos presentation. Sam Orlick here. Warriors starting to trend in the right direction, but with the trade deadline tomorrow and so many questions for this roster, obviously disappointing with where they are in the standings, currently 11th in the West. With me to talk about all of this and more is none other than special guest James Homer. Hey, Sam. How's it going? Pretty good. You know, getting the win tonight. Got the trade deadline tomorrow. It's a whole uh, whole lot of questions for this team. Kind of an exciting time, I guess. Trade deadline is always kind of an exciting time. I do a lot of fantasy basketball as well. So, you know, Warriors aside, it's always kind of interesting to see who goes where and how pieces fall. Yeah, definitely. Especially after uh, after a game like today, it really makes you wonder about the team. And then, you know, also as an avid fantasy basketball player, I've been uh, keeping an eye on the Bulls situation specifically, but uh, a lot of a uh, lot of possible movement over the next, uh, I guess, less than twenty four hours for the tomorrow's deadline. Yeah, and I feel like for Warriors fans, um, it's very polarizing right now kind of what you know as far as where fans feel like there should or shouldn't be adjustments um definitely a lot of chatter about trades certainly interesting you know Wiggins with with the double double tonight Kaminga just been outstanding really break out in the last eight games or so uh Warriors starting to get healthy getting Moses Moody back into the fold and sure, you know, Warriors are now four and one in their last five games against, you know, some of the likes of the Grizzlies and and Philly without Embiid and Brooklyn and again against the Sixers with Embiid. But that was the night he got hurt. And you, honestly, the Sixers look better without him than with him on the floor that night. So, you know, it's not top tier talent, but a win's a win. And uh, when you're where the Warriors were at, before this uh, trip started um, 12th and now you're in 11th, you know, the best thing you can do is just continue to win the games you're supposed to win and hope that uh, things start to fall a little bit differently against some of these better opponents that we've got coming up. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that the, you know, quality of the matchups is, is definitely something to, to kind of keep an eye on, you know, in a stretch where they've won four of their last five, but it is good to see that they're winning the games that they should. Um, and they're kind of doing so in outside of the Atlanta game, they're kind of doing so in a, in a more familiar fashion to what we saw before um, over the last, the last few years when Kevin Durant was still with the team. And even some games last year where the team looked just a lot better as, as a sum, even outside of Steph Curry. So it's nice to see that, um, you know, they're not giving up a big lead to the Embiidless Sixers, but plenty of work left to go, plenty of season left. Um, and now they're a lot closer to, at the very least, the plan, which historically has not treated them very well, but you never know. Yeah, and the, the stat that was most surprising to me from the Sixer game is the 23 point lead going into the fourth quarter was a season best for the Warriors. So it's just kind of had me shocked for a minute. It's like, wow, this is the first, first game of the season. We're like almost 50 games in, and this is the first game we've had a 23 point lead going into the fourth quarter. 
Yeah, and they were they were able to maintain it too. I mean, they finished the they finished the game with a twenty three point win. So to to kind of see that as um that level of consistency through the start and the end of the fourth quarter, I think, is equally as impressive. Um, just because kind of have seen this team pull away in the third a lot, and they build up these big leads. Obviously, you know it's it's felt a lot bigger, but that's probably because they've just given up so many leads so late. Um, that seeing that kind of first, first of all, the, their biggest lead of the season entering the fourth, um, it's felt bigger before, but they were able to maintain it. And I think that's, uh, that's kind of where a lot of the shock factor for me at least comes in is that realizing not only was it the biggest lead of the season and you didn't really kind of realize it just because the other collapses have felt so monumental, but that they didn't collapse in the fourth either. Yeah. So just kind of want to jump into this here where where are you how are you feeling you know trade deadline being tomorrow really kind of the final um final chance for the warriors to make a shakeup if if they are going to you know are you looking at anyone in particular that you'd just be happy the warriors get off are there any players around the league on other teams that you feel like would be a good fit is it you know, a major shakeup where it's three, four pieces with, you know, Chris Paul and Wiggins or something maybe a little bit more fringe? Um, it's, it's kind of hard to tell, um, just with this team. I mean, I think that, uh, there was an interesting, uh, an interesting bit from, uh, John Hollinger on the athletic about the Warriors potentially dumping, uh, Corey Joseph's minimum contract because it would save them a lot in tax and then they could, just signed Lester Kiyunas, who's been excellent over the over his last few games that he's been getting minutes. Um, in the role that excellent in the role that has been kind of put upon him. So I wouldn't be shocked to see a uh, a Kojo move potentially, even if it's just a salary dump for picks or something like that. Um before today, I think that a lot of people, myself included, would have kind of looked at those, you know, Milwaukee and Dallas are interested in Andrew Wiggins and what you could kind of get out of that. But the question in return of that would have to be, especially after a game like tonight where he looked a lot more comfortable out there. And I think that's in large part um, to the emergence of Jonathan Kaminga, but he, his play tonight was phenomenal. You know, he looked like a, a lot of made a lot of effort plays, uh, you know, 10 rebounds, four on the offensive glass, which is important uh, because he was, that was such a huge part for him being, uh, you know, arguably the second best player in the 2022 finals uh, with all of his rebounding and just his, his aggressiveness around the basket. But you have to ask, is that better than what a Bobby Portis from Milwaukee would bring? And I think that's kind of the name that a lot of people have talked about. If for no other reason than to just get, Draymond Green some help as a uh, as a center just because between him and Looney they're both undersized you don't want to wear them down too much before the end of the season I think that would be a good move I don't think that necessarily moving Wiggins would be the way to get that I think if you could make a, a Chris Paul and you know assets or Chris Paul Moody kind of trade for a a backup center at the very least, then I think that's something you would have to look at, especially with the way that Brandon Pajemski has been playing um, another night without any, uh, yeah, without any turnovers for him. 
So he's shown that he can kind of step into that role at the second unit, especially with a bigger bigger guard like Keona's being able to take some of the scoring and defensive responsibilities from him. Um, you'd feel more comfortable with him running the bench unit. But I think if there is a trade to be made, there's not a name in particular that jumps out to me. I do think it would have to be more on the fringes if they're not going to deal Chris Paul, because I just don't see them dealing Andrew Wiggins, especially after, since Draymond Green's been back, him and Kaminga have been an awesome pair together when Draymond's on the floor with them. Yeah, very well said. I think exactly that. The the Draymond, Kaminga, Wiggins trio of these kind of athletic switchable all all have shown the ability to hit the three you know maybe not in volume and maybe you know Draymond's going to do it a little bit more of a set shot wide open Kaminga kind of the same Wiggins is probably the most proficient at three historically speaking although Draymond percentage wise on the season and then Kaminga's just been cooking lately but he missed a few tonight um that that trio is just like exactly what you want for the playoffs so I think if you still had the, like you just said, we still had kind of the old version of, of Andrew Wiggins before Draymond Green had come back where he had just no confidence, doesn't, you know, not able to look for his shot, can't finish free throws look atrocious. That bleeds into his defense uh, disengaged at times. Then, yeah, I think, you know, you're, you're really between a rock and a hard place to try and, and make an improvement and, and get something better. I think at this point, you know, we've already seen Wiggins be the the second best player on this team when they went all the way and won a ring. So you know that he has it in him. So as we start to see his confidence return, his shot looks good. Um, and he only played 23 minutes and he ended up with 21 and 10 and he was just doing it on both ends, right? It was like a three on one where he gets back and he, and he picks uh, the Sixers, um, you know, looked good hitting a three or two uh, dribbling into the mid range um, attacking the paint, the free throws have been, I think, the most astounding thing is like shooting 80% from the line uh, since Green came back. And I don't think that's as much as Draymond Green's making him a better free throw shooter. I think it's just the confidence, the the comfortability is back in the flow of things. Um, and you start to see the makings of what an elite, uh, an elite defensive team um, needs to be, which is, you know, how Steve Kerr's likes to uh likes to run his teams especially how how he's been able to have so much success in the playoffs um also really good to see clay thompson bounce back tonight he was a team best plus 24 on the night i thought clay did a really good job of not settling for the three taking what the defense would give him um curling off of those screens and instead of just firing off these highly difficult contested three-pointers like get the curl look for the mid-range, go, go all the way to the rim, look for the dump-off pass. Um, you just see that Wiggins and Kaminga uh, in certain matchups are just going to be able to carry the offense. Um, Kaminga had 18. He easily could have had 30. I feel like he kind of got off to a rocky start in the first quarter. Some some foul, some uh, shots at the rim weren't called. A couple shots that went in and out for him. Um and uh, and then when you get Chris Paul back, who I guess is also like you mentioned, somebody that they might consider trading. But I just feel like, you know, for what Chris Paul brings, um, I know you mentioned pods, no turnovers. I just, you know, Steve Kerr, even the other night, just really kind of came out and said pods isn't really a point guard. So I know it's kind of been like a by committee approach with Chris Paul being out. You have Quinones handling pods, sometimes even Corey Joseph, although 
Um, Quinones has really leapfrogged him. Um, I still feel like Kerr is going to want Chris Paul. He's going to want somebody in there he can trust. Um, it feels like Saric has really kind of struggled without Chris Paul over the last few weeks and not really been able to get into that two-man game um, that we really saw him just kind of flourish in um, throughout you know the first half of the season. So I don't really see any moves. I don't really think that that um, you know you you likely kind of make a big trade or a big splash involving Kaminga, Wiggins, or Thompson or or uh, Chris Paul. And I don't know that what you get back necessarily makes you better than what you had to give up. And then you've got the whole learning curve of building the chemistry, integrating them, then picking up the system. Uh, easier said than done. So I know it's I think head scratching for a lot of fans to look at the record, see where they are in the standings, continue to have kind of the same rinse and repeat disappointment of losing, you know, back-to-back one-point games at home against the Kings and the Lakers and then losing an OT against Atlanta and all these close games and we can't close them out. Um, and feeling like it's insanity to not go out and try and improve and, and get other players. And I think I agree with that principle in general of like, you should always be looking to improve and go out and get better. And I think the Warriors are doing that. But the problem is like nobody in the league is going to do you any favors. Nobody's just like dangling desirable assets and like willing to just take Chris Paul, right? They want, they want future picks. They want Moody. They want Wiggins. Like they want valuable things in return. And the Warriors don't necessarily want to just give up valuable things just to get another player and see how it all fits together. So trades are hard. And I think people kind of, underestimate that a little bit is like what it takes to for two teams you know two gms to be in the place or or it could even be multiple teams not just two for all the teams to be in the right place and have the right assets that match up money wise and and are in the willingness to kind of make a deal and uh, i i just don't think the warriors are there just despite the record despite the frustrations this season you got a lot of games left and um you know, I think I think eighth is uh, isn't out of out of reach from this team. When you look at the standings in the West, it's like you've got uh, the Clippers, Thunder, Wolves, and Nuggets that are all basically locked in. One of those teams is going to be number one, but they've all got basically the same record. Uh, and then Kings and Suns and uh, New Orleans and Mavericks are kind of that next tier, all kind of hovering around the same record, five through eight. And then it's the Lakers, Jazz, Warriors, and Rockets and kind of that bottom four. Um, and feels like, you know, it, at a minimum, 10th seed is within reach. But I think the Warriors could do a lot, even even do a lot better than that as everything kind of starts to gel together. Yeah, I mean, we we kind of talk about it, there's always it's it's been kind of a thing for years that the just how much deeper and kind of stronger of a conference the West is. But this year, I think especially kind of exemplifies that. I mean, you have three teams in the same division that are at 35 wins. I think the top four teams in the entire conference are all within like a game and a half or like a half a game, maybe zero games of each other in terms of seating. So I don't think that I, I mean, I wouldn't say the play-in is out of the question, but I definitely agree that they could, uh, especially that particular group. Um, you know, I think the Warriors are, when it comes to the sum of their parts and when they're playing 
sort of how we've seen them play and in the past and kind of put it together now that everybody's starting to get healthy. I think that's a, been a huge factor as well as they've just been missing people. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's going to be a race to, uh, it's going to be a race to kind of get into that, um, into that eight to nine range if they can. Uh, I definitely think that they could make it into the eighth seed, even the seventh seed if they try hard enough, but you're kind of right in the sense that, is there really a trade that moves the needle enough without them, without the Warriors sort of giving up on their, their defensive identity? And I think that now that we're seeing Jonathan Kaminga starting to get a bit more of a leash um, or a looser leash from, from Kerr pulling him for mistakes and all this, uh, I think really the only thing that's kind of stands in the Warriors way is running way too many three guard three guard lineups down the stretch but other than that um i think there's plenty of uh there's plenty of hope with this team and you don't necessarily need to make a giant needle moving trade like you would for you know like lowry marketing like that's he would absolutely change the a lot of a lot of things for this team for the better but the what you would have to give up for him would just be monumental probably even if, if the jazz are going to end up dealing him and i think that's probably the only name that you can consider a big move for other than that it's probably too much to give up versus what you're going to get in return yeah i know Dejounte murray was another name as well pascal siakam obviously before he was traded the pacers but those guys we're all going to take, you know, multiple firsts. It probably would have been something like Kaminga and Wiggins to get either of those guys. Um, is that, does that make you better? It certainly improves your offense. It certainly gives you a very different look without a question. But is that, is that significant of a shakeup warranted? And is that going to net different results when you're in kind of win now mode? Uh, and I think GP2 is really, his value to this team is really underrated. And obviously it's just been uh, such a frustration for him over the last few seasons, not being able to stay healthy. But when you get GP2 back and you can roll out Draymond, Kaminga, Wiggins, GP2, and maybe like Moses Moody, I mean, that that four man can defend. You've got a lot of versatility. You got a lot of different, you got a lot of different options. So. I think, you know, it, it's interesting because before Chris Paul and GP2 went out, it was a question of there's too many bodies, right? There's not enough minutes to go around, rotation's too deep. I think as Clay has kind of struggled and, and floundered in kind of a high usage role and trying to trying to be the player that he was, we're seeing him start to embrace more of a lower usage role. And Kerr said that as, you know, guys come back, they'd like to they'd like to trim Clay's minutes a bit more and, and maybe rest him on some back-to-backs. So I think that does open the door to, you know, Moody being in the rotation. I mentioned Quinones. He's been playing well as of late, um, most importantly because he's out there willing to defend and give effort. And he spoke to that as to being a big reason what he knows that that's what he knows he needs to do to stay on the floor. I think his shooting has never been in question. It's It's been, can you defend? So, um, I think, think it's uh, it's going to be interesting for the Warriors, but they've got um, an intriguing remaining schedule. You've got Indiana tomorrow on the second night of a back-to-back. That Phoenix game is going to be huge. 
Um, and then you go Utah Clippers, Utah. So two wins against Utah would certainly uh, do wonders for the standings as Utah's currently um, a game above them in the standings. That would help. You know, you could find yourself uh, solidified in the 10th spot um, after this stretch of games and, and starting to feel a lot better if you can pick up, you know, another three or four wins out of the next five or six games. Um, really interesting to see that Clippers game because the Clippers have just been absolutely on fire, but I feel like the Warriors played them really well. The first was already played them three times, I think. Um, and I don't know if that was kind of the start of the Clippers getting hot, but um, or just that the Warriors played really good ball as they have against a lot of teams. It just wasn't 48 minutes of, of basketball to pick up the win. Um, so a lot of questions um but certainly a lot of a lot of games to be played and and interesting how the schedule kind of worked out that they had those two games postponed which almost worked in their favor bought them some more time for guys to come back from injuries um and now you know you've got you've got an extend an extended stretch to uh try and make it interesting and, and prove everyone wrong yeah, I think that that Clippers point that you brought up is kind of interesting because you saw it with the Celtics and the Nuggets as well, um, where the Warriors just played very good basketball up until the last, you know, minute or something like that. No, obviously they ended up winning that Celtics game, um, which was probably the game of the season up until this point. The Denver win would have been had Nikola Jokic not hit a half quarter to win the game, but um all in all, it seems like against good teams, like they just, they played, they just play really well. Like you see the vision with this team, especially when Steph starts to get going and you kind of see the other end of that when they play the Atlanta Hawks and he drops 60 and they lose in overtime. Um, it's just, you know, small things that you know are fixable and that's with a, you know, with a different starting group with different guys closing out, um, closing out the games and it, it really does make you think like this this kind of four and one role that they're on right now is probably an indication that the team is better than their record says they are, and they're better than some of the losses they've had to teams that they haven't necessarily executed against, which they should have closed out halfway through the fourth quarter. Um, so I think that that's you know it's it's definitely going to be interesting down the stretch in these next couple games. You could see them start to to break back into the standings a little bit um, depends a lot on kind of how different teams look after the deadline as well as we've kind of heard uh, Kelly Olynyk from the Utah jazz might be on the move. Um, he could be going to a contender. The warriors were reported to be interested. Um, it's uh, it's, I think that would actually be a pretty good move as well. Maybe not necessarily a needle mover, but just some floor spacing and uh, another body to help out Draymond green in the paint. But Outside of that, they definitely, when they have games like they did against the Sixers tonight, they look better than their record indicates. And, you know, as long as it's just about playing 48 minutes of good basketball instead of 47. So would you, would you like Olenek over Sarge? Um, it's, it kind of depends. I feel like Sarge is a, is a capable rebounder in a lot of respects, but he's, he he's kind of in the in the same vein of a player as you know Nemanja Bielica was, and Bielica is a 
you know, is a tall four. I think that Saric at the five has historically not always been great for the Warriors. It's kind of been kind of iffy. And I think that the floor spacing he adds is great, especially next to Draymond Green. But I think a just a sort of bigger presence like Kelly Olenek wouldn't be bad to have. And I think that uh, it also is, you know, when, when Chris Paul is kind of the catalyst for Sarge being the, the player that we've seen him be earlier in the season, I think that also kind of lessens his versatility. And of course that, that remains to be seen whether or not the same could be said for Olenek. Um, but I think that there's, you know, outside of him being sick, like you, you've seen a lot of uh, E Santos lately, who mm-hmm. gives a lot of you know that that hustle play and just kind of a bigger, stronger defender type of wing that the Warriors would need versus Sarge, who's you know he's six ten, he's not necessarily a, a shot blocker or an excellent defender. Um, you know, he's a good team defender, but he's not really there to to clean up mistakes or if the the ball's moving too much and Draymond Green can't rotate back in time to protect the rim um yeah I think that uh you know Linux by no means an all defensive type of player but I do think that he would just be able to take a lot more of the physical pressure off of Green than Saric has so far that we've seen problem with Linux is he's owed uh 12 million this year yeah, that would be a, you know, you'd have to make... So I think that that's kind of the that. challenge, right? Is is if you do the fringe move, it needs to be a vet minimum type deal unless you're planning to, to do something involving Chris Paul as a part of the trade. Yeah, and I think that's probably, if that is the move, then I think that would be, and in that case, Olenek would definitely, I would say, be better over Sarge just because, you know, he, he's kind of like, Sarge hasn't looked great outside of his minutes with Paul, as you mentioned kind of earlier, but yeah, if, if they do think that the, that moving off of CP three and, you know, giving up a pick Moses Moody in return for Olenek and uh, someone else like salary filler on the jazz. Um, it's kind of, that's where it kind of becomes harder to determine because the team has looked good without Chris Paul. Um, I think that moving Chris Paul would, prevents a lot of it would lessen the chances that the Warriors put shorter lineups out out on the floor against opponents where they're you know that just doesn't work as well so I think you're relying a lot on when Chris Paul comes back a 38 year old sixth man that may not you know he's had some good productivity but he's not nearly the defender he was uh he's not quite the shooter he was even in Phoenix so that's kind of one of those, if you're going to move the Paul contract, then that's probably the move to do it on. Uh, otherwise, you know, bring him, bring him back into the, into the fold to play with Sarge and just hope you can kind of get more aggregate six man minutes out of, uh, out of pretty much everybody else. Yeah, I hear you. I, I think I just don't see it. I, I think that the main issue from the off season was having a reliable backup point guard. And I think I, I love what Pods has done, but I don't think he's there yet. He hasn't earned Steve Kerr's trust to be deployed in the playoffs to run the second unit. And uh, neither has Quinones, and, and Corey Joseph is, is there as an emergency depth. So I think it's very unlikely that we see Chris Paul get moved unless 
uh, we're also bringing in a point guard or else uh, Kerr just really feels like he's he's uh, all in on on uh, on pods, which, you know, I'd be again, I'd be surprised off of his words recently where he said pods isn't a one and he's not a two. He's just a really good basketball player. And I think that's very true. He, he does a lot of really good things. But I mean, early in the season, I thought he was a pretty great shooter. Lately, it doesn't feel like he's very comfortable with outside shooting, but he's certainly willing to drive into the paint. Um, he's all over the place on rebounds. He's setting up his teammates. He makes the right plays. He reads the floor so well. Um, he does so many things well, but I just don't know if if you trust him, you know, in a in an elimination game to lead the second unit and make the right reads and plays like you do uh, with Chris Paul. And I think that now that you've got the emergence of Wiggins and Kaminga, um, you don't need to lean quite as much on those three guard lineups that you were referencing. Because I feel like it was really just out of desperation. You you couldn't get it much out of Kaminga. You weren't getting anything out of Wiggins. Like Thompson was struggling. You're just trying to do anything you can to create more, um, more options, more creators for, to, to find Curry. And um, I think things become a little bit easier now. I think you don't need to play Paul as much. You don't need to play Clay Thompson as much. You're going to lean more on those um, defensive plus lineups with, uh, with Kaminga Wiggins and GP two, and, and even Moody. Um, I think Moody's going to play more as well because Moody's shown um, shown a lot of confidence and a lot of growth this season. So, um, you know, I personally feel like I'd like to see them just kind of stand pat. I mean, maybe if you feel like Quinones is leapfrogged uh, Corey Joseph, you you cut Corey Joseph and and sign um, Quinones to a guaranteed deal, which I've read if timed correctly, could save them 11 million in cap. Um, that to me makes sense. And yeah, I mean, your Sarich comparison is absolutely spot on. He's 100% uh, a slightly different version of, of Bielitsa, but I feel like the year we won, Bielitsa had a very important role in the playoffs. Sometimes you need a guy to come off the bench and chip in three threes, despite you know what, what his um, deficiencies may be on the defensive end. I think everyone knows what they're going to get out of Sarich as far as rim protection and uh, and defending the paint, not much. But when his when his shots falling, I mean, he can come in, he can come in off the bench and score a quick ten in in two minutes. So I think that you need guys like that who've already proven that they've been able to produce like that at this level. And um, I think it's always a tough question with guys in their roles and their willingness to accept their roles. Like a like, would a Kelly Olynyk be okay playing one night ten minutes and another night five? I don't know, right? Saric came back from an illness and only played five minutes um, against Brooklyn. So I think that's also a big question for some of the fringe moves: is do you feel like the guy you're getting would be okay accepting a role like that? Because it's a totally different situation than when you sign somebody in the off season and you sit them down and you tell them their role and how they're going to help this team. Um, you make a trade and you're kind of making some assumptions both ways, the player and uh, player, the GM and the coach, as far as how it's, how it's all going to fall together. And it doesn't always work out. Yeah. I think in, especially when it comes to, you know, if you're going to bring in an when I could, that's obviously, you know, the minutes are kind of a concern with their fluctuations and all that. Um, 
Yeah, I know that like Kerr's trust for veterans and all that um, definitely factors into it as well. But it's also vets that haven't been on his team and he's, you know, had all these guys who are starting to step up now. Um, I do think in that scenario that they trade Chris Paul, they would have to bring in a point guard. Um, Chris Dunn would seem the likeliest candidate. He's on a very low, uh, low number of a contract. Um, You know, he's been in the league for a while, former first round pick. Great defender, good passer, improved shooter as well. Um, but I do think that uh, Kerr does like having Chris Paul out there to just kind of stabilize things. And, you know, Dunn has historically been so-so with his turnovers. So, and obviously another situation with minutes fluctuations. But, you know, standing pot wouldn't, you know, especially looking at the team over the last five games, it wouldn't be probably the ideal scenario for a lot of fans, but it also wouldn't be the worst outcome um of kind of what a post deadline team would look like i would say if the warriors you know if the worst thing that the warriors did was trade um 2023 andrew wiggins for 2022 andrew wiggins i would say that would be you know the best yeah the best trade (laughs) trade deadline they could get because when when your team when you go from Curry being your best player and a question mark for who your second best player is to having Curry and then like a 2A and 2B of Kaminga and Wiggins who were each, you know, combined who are combining for 30 to 40 points per game and, you know, hounding defenders, rebounding, you know, driving kick, getting to the line, wreaking havoc. I mean, that's a potent team and that's putting very little pressure on Clay Thompson to score 20 plus. Um, you, you don't necessarily, you know, in a game like tonight, it was obviously a blowout, but you only played Draymond Green 18 minutes. Um, Kavon Looney actually looked revitalized. Sure, he's going up against Paul Reed. They just had no size against him, but you've got options on this team. I think it, it's really about Wiggins and Kaminga playing at their potential. And if those two guys are able to get downhill and win their matchups, I think it just opens up everything else for this team and takes so much pressure off of everyone else on the roster. And when you've got Draymond Green setting them up and then you've got Chris Paul in the second unit as well, uh, you're just putting them in a better position to to take advantage of the mismatches when they're there, get them, find them in transition. You know, I think the Warriors struggled at times, right? There was a play where Clay Thompson had Kaminga in a wide open backdoor cut and Clay just threw a bad pass and they kicked it out of bounds. Um, just little stuff like that, that I feel like when you get Chris Paul back, those plays will be completed. Um, and that's just more transition points. Um, and so I think that there's just a lot, a lot to be excited about. And, and the numbers, the numbers don't lie, um, in their last, in their last five games, the Warriors are actually top 10 in defensive and offensive net rating, um, Defensively, they're fourth best, and offensively, they're um, uh, actually sorry. Offensively, they're fourteenth, um, but defensively, they are fourth um, in their last five games. So that's really encouraging because defense has obviously been uh, an issue for this team um, this season. But um, again, it, it really just with Wiggins and Kaminga, if they keep playing like this, I mean Kaminga it's it's been going on for you know weeks now i think it's pretty clear uh, you know maybe he'll have games like tonight where he scores in the teens instead of 
20 plus or 30 plus, but um, Kaminga has arrived. And if Kaminga's returned to form, or if Wiggins has also returned to form, I think the Warriors are going to be in a great spot to close out this uh, this season on a high note. Yeah, I think the just to kind of highlight the the Jonathan Kaminga's sort of in expanded minutes has had a, a much larger role in the team, especially on the offense. Um, we talked a lot about kind of at the beginning of the season that Kaminga was going to make, you know, the third year leap. And that's been kind of an NBA hallmark. Uh, you know, you, it goes your rookie season, you can have your sophomore slump. And then the third year is usually when you can start to tell whether or not a player is bound to be a star. And, you know, there's still things that Jonathan Kaminga does on the court that are you know, small feel for the game type of things, but those are really starting to pale in comparison, especially now that Draymond Green is back to sort of coach him up and to be able to help him correct those in real time. Um, he's just been incredible. I think that him, he's he's really unlocked the Warriors offense in a lot of ways. Um, defensively, of course, you know, he's awesome at the point of attack. Um, he's just such a, such a good athlete. He can guard almost any position on the floor, I think with a little bit more, you know, game feel and sense for the defense, then he'll be, uh, or sense, sense for defensive schemes. He'll be, you know, kind of in that Siakam-esque role of being able to guard one through five or, you know, being kind of a, a multi-positional defender like that. Offensively, I think that he, he draws, which is kind of interesting to see from a third year player, like he draws a lot of, defensive attention for somebody who doesn't have necessarily the best outside jump shot like he's just so unstoppable going to the rim that it feels like he almost pulls you know he'll pull like some defensive gravity away from other players which has opened up um you know opportunities for everybody else you know there was i think it was two i think it was three games ago um maybe four there was a possession where Kaminga drew like two defenders at the rim and it ended up in a wide open Steph Curry three. Like things like that are really what have kind of started to unlock the Warriors offense, especially a little bit more. And they've also taken pressure off of players like Clay Thompson, who doesn't have to be all of a sudden the secondary shot creator whenever Steph's off the floor because they can give the ball to Kaminga and he can kind of wreak some havoc on uh, the opposing defense. So I think his emergence has been key for Andrew Wiggins as well because it's it was really between Clay and Wiggs for who was going to step up as that second score on the Warriors. And now that uh, now that he's gotten the opportunity, it's really been Kaminga, which is something that I I kind of thought might happen when Jordan Poole got traded, uh, just because you know Kaminga's always been there's his time with the Warriors is really the first time in his basketball playing career that he wasn't arguably the best player on the floor for his team. And I think now that he has a, he has the ball in his hands more and Steve Kerr has given him a lot of trust to go out and do what he does best, which is score the basketball. Um, you are starting to see the results of that uh, kind of him being the primary for his team so often. Yeah. And I think that another big part of, of Kaminga's leap is um the Warriors playing defense and getting out in transition and getting Kaminga looks in transition. I don't think I haven't felt like there's been a substantial amount of plays where we've got the traditional half court set and 
you know, they run ISO, ISO Kaminga, and he's going to work. I mean, he certainly has done that, but where he's been the most um, successful and consistent has been in the open floor. He grabs a defensive rebound and goes coast to coast, or uh, we get a stop and he's streaking up the floor and he gets a dunk and it's one man and it's just right to the rim. So I think totally agree with what you're saying as far as he's earned Steve Kerr's trust. He's got the ball in his hands more. He's starting more to feel more comfortable. The mid-range jump shot looks good. The the threes look good in, in low volume and, and situationally at the right time. But in transition and when he's got a full head of steam, it's like he just sheds defenders and then finishes with so much athleticism and, and energy. Uh, it's it's quite a sight to see him him do that. And then you see Andrew Wiggins like, oh, yeah, I used to be able to do that, too. Let me get in get in on some of the action. All of a sudden, Wiggins is remembering <laughs> that he can get to the rim and, and do similar things. So. Um, but again, I, I feel like it's, it's defense that has always fueled their offense in that sense, as far as getting stops, get the rebound and then get out and run. And now that they're getting stops more, they're looking more up ahead. And I, I don't have the stats up in front of me, but I know that warriors were, um, the worst team as far as, uh, as far as transition, like fast break points. And I would be, um, hard pressed if, if they haven't turned that around, uh, recently with their defense trending up in the right direction. Yeah. I think it's a lot of, a lot of that kind of, like you said, especially that they're, you know, you have so much, a lot more effort on defense and, you know, obviously that's a huge part of Draymond being with the team more often than not, which wasn't the case for the first half of the season, but they've also, you know, what Kaminga kind of allows them to do. And also Wiggins now starting to get out in transition as well is, um, you know, the Warriors transition attack has always been kind of a, a staple of those those great teams from earlier in the 2010s. Um, you know, you see all these highlights of you know, the Curry play transition threes, you know, when they had Kevin Durant on the team, they were still getting out and running. You know, two defenders would go to Steph and Katie would be wide open for a fast break dunk. Um, they just looked more athletic in those days. And I think that kind of like you were saying, Kaminga and Wiggins um really being unleashed in the open floor has upped their pace which was kind of a problem uh earlier in the season as well you know the the warriors even when they got stops in transition or got stops and got into transition they were just slower they didn't look as you know kind of spry and energized as they do now that they have two uh you know two very good athletes running the floor. And I think that that's um, it's something that you can attribute a little bit to in his limited minutes, uh, Trace Jackson Davis as well, because he gives them a much different look at center than Looney or Sarge does um, just for, you know, youth and athleticism purposes. Uh, but in general, yeah, I mean, I think that the, their strength has always been their defense. You know, the, the Warriors, when they were on their title run, were, you know, a middle of the pack in offensive rating for a long time or kind of near that. 11 10 spot but their defense was you know the second best in the history of the nba besides behind the boston celtics who they beat in the nba finals so there's a lot of uh there's definitely a lot of merit to that kind of seeing them get more stops and seeing them be able to get back out and run i think it's it's a lot of that and and the transition offense or can be attributed to sort of getting their their legs back and just being more mobile and athletic because when you talk about small ball, small ball for the Warriors was never running three guards at the same time. It was 
Steph, Clay, two wings, and Draymond. It was never, you know, they have a couple point guards who can make good passes. It was a lot about Harrison Barnes, Andre Iguodala, Kevin Durant. Um, and when they were going for the title, Andrew Wiggins as well. So there's a lot to be um there's a lot to be said about kind of their their adjustments with the athleticism that they have now as well as their defensive adjustments allowing them to use that a lot more in the open court. And I mean, Jonathan Kaming has been averaging like, this is like 1.4 points per possession in transition, which is like ridiculous. I don't know what the figure is game, but that's pretty, uh, it's pretty good for a third year player. That's for sure. Yeah. Sky's the limit on that kid. Please don't trade him. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. He's the, he's the next, uh, next franchise cornerstone, especially with how he looks in his third year. So. Right. 21 years old. Still figuring it out. Once he once he really gets uh, his handle established in an outside shot, I mean, what are you going to do against that kid? Um, you mentioned Trace Jackson Davis. He's out of the rotation completely right now, I'd say. I don't think that's really debatable. Um, now that Draymond's back, you've got, and now you've got Saric. Um, you've got even Guy Santos coming in at times to play the four. So what are you feeling about Trace Jackson Davis? Do you feel like he should be playing more? Obviously he was, um, he seemed like he was kind of busting out onto the scenes a couple weeks ago, if not like a month ago and, and kind of like a, was going to be a staple and kind of leapfrogged loony. Um, but again, this is while Draymond, Draymond Green was suspended. So um, yeah. What are your thoughts on him and, and how he might contribute more? Is there, room for him to would you like to see him get more minutes um i think i i definitely would um for no other reason than if the warriors are not going to pick up another center then they're just going to need to put bodies on the floor to make sure that draymond green has the mileage to go through the playoffs um in tjd's case uh he he fell out of the rotation in my mind because he just wasn't as him and Draymond Green weren't as used to playing with each other. You know, there was a, a quote recently where Draymond was kind of talking about how he wasn't really used to playing with a, with a shot blocker behind him outside of, you know, his first year with the team, first, second years with the team. Uh, okay, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Or not with the team, but when he was starting. Um, so him kind of sharing the floor with Bogut and then, even then, a lot of the time, the Warriors' best lineups were with him at the center position. So... I think that having a uh, having a true shot blocker kind of behind him it uh, it changes the way that he might play defense and I think that for Steve Kerr as of now the better option is to just go with uh, to just go with Draymond and kind of go with somebody who's asserted themselves but I definitely think that in games where you're seeing a lot more bigs like it's best to just throw bodies at guys like Joel Embiid and Nikola Jokic, especially. Um, so I wouldn't expect to, uh, I wouldn't expect for him to be out of the rotation for too long. Um, it kind of depends on whether or not, you know, we see any more injuries, whether or not people need to be resting back to backs. Um, I think it's something they'll work on now that Dre's officially back. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if we started to see more TJD down the stretch but at the same time, you know, it's kind of hard to to gauge that and whether or not um, you'll be able to sustain with 
Draymond playing as the undersized center all the time, because I do think that you really do need a, an element of a shot blocker, even if it's the a true shot blocker, even if it's in the second unit. And he's been great as a rim runner too. So I think that a, a different role, maybe a, a little bit of an expanded role from where he is now is in the cards. I don't think he'll be playing, you know, the 20 to 25 minutes or whatever he was getting while Draymond Green was still out when he was kind of, making waves all over social media and all that. But I do think he's a very valuable piece to, uh, to keep with the team. And, um, you know, is a very good rebounder, great defender, uh, good role man, sets good screens, um, capable passer as well. That was a big thing for his college scouting report. And we can see it hasn't quite translated, but you see flashes of it. Um, yeah, I, I would, I would like to see him get some more minutes uh especially while we're kind of waiting for cp3 to come back just because it it's all very matchup dependent with between him and sarge i would say and even looney to a degree yeah i think that's the biggest thing i think he's shown a lot of flashes i think there was a point in time where it felt like he should 100 be a fixture in the rotation he should be playing over kavon looney and sarge no questions and then he, you know, for whatever it was, the matchups, um, losing confidence, making mistakes, getting pulled, um, getting in his head. You know, there was a couple games where he was missing a bunch of bunnies at the rim or uh, missing defensive assignments or misreading um, defensive coverages and not being able to get there and block shots. And you'd see him jumping up to block the shot, but it was almost always late or goaltending because he wasn't getting there. And so... I think he's got a ton of potential. I think he's he was a really great pick. Um, I would like to see him continue to get some more minutes, but I think if you are chasing wins, you don't have the luxury of um, rolling him out in close games if you're not comfortable with the matchup. And I think that he's proven to be, although he did play really well early in the season against uh, Sabonis, um, but I think you know the Warriors have just had Sabonis' number in general historically and are just unfazed by him. Uh, so that might have been working in his favor. But against some of the bigger guys, like like you're talking about Embiid, Jokic, AD, um, you know, I think poor Jackson Davis, I, I just don't think he's quite big enough yet to, to do anything meaningful against those guys. And, um, you know, maybe the silver lining of Draymond Green, you know, missing all those games due to suspension and whatnot, you know, you've kind of saved him to ramp up a little bit later in the season and, and continue to play big minutes. And if you can continue to beat the teams that you're supposed to beat and not have, you know, not have all these clutch games, you can get a 23 point win on the road where Draymond green only plays 18 minutes and you're saving him, you know, Curry only played 25 minutes. Um, so you're, you're buying minutes for these guys and then that's enabling you to play Jackson Davis or Santos um, down the stretch in games where you've got a big lead. They can be a little bit more comfortable. They're not going to get pulled after a couple of mistakes. So um, yeah, he, he's shown a lot of flashes. I think he, he's got a ton of upside and potential. I think he needs some more time also before we could definitively say, yeah, that, that guy should play, you know, 12 to 14 minutes a game and, and be kind of, you know, timeshare with, with Looney um, and Sarge for, for some of those, for some of those minutes. Yeah, I definitely think more time is, is always good. You know, he's, he was a rookie, uh, as much as we like to, to talk about, or he is, he's a rookie this year, as much as we like to talk about, you know, he was a four-year player in college. Um, 
the NBA is just a it's a different animal when it comes to basketball. So I think adjusting to kind of the the pace and you know how quickly he has to go and block shots, you know his timing. You know you, you saw a lot of his game tape that he does have very good timing, but it's all an adjustment process. So I think you're you're definitely right that um, he'll likely need a little bit more time. Uh, I do think that in some matchups that he would just be kind of helpful to have on the floor and if it's not going to give up too much of a lead then I think that there's definitely um definitely plenty of room for him to to still be on the floor because he does he has made positive impacts um in close games before but again it's very matchup very very matchup dependent and I think that uh him and Draymond Green definitely do need to to kind of get a little more on-court chemistry um to make that pairing work and I think that if they do then that might actually be a, a lineup we start to see more of yeah yeah could be all right man you got any uh closing thoughts here I'm surprised I'm kind of you know anxiously checking Twitter every few minutes to look for trade deadline news it's kind of at that that time of the season when it's like you don't want to be away from your phone for more than five minutes yeah um, and, and, and it's a big move yeah, um, I mean, this team's starting to get healthy. I think the you kind of mentioned it earlier. Um, GP2 coming back is going to be huge. Uh, CP3 coming back will will kind of be a, be an important thing to watch as well. Uh, with those two guys, you would have to kind of maybe take a look at how much more you play Brandon, Brandon Pajemski or kind of where you play him in certain lineups. Uh Time will tell. Uh, you know, the Warriors are going to have a pretty deep guard rotation once those two guys are back. Uh, I think GB2 coming back is especially going to be big defensively, so I wouldn't I wouldn't be shocked if, you know, the team's fourth overall defensive rating in their last 10 games uh, starts to look a lot more sustainable once he's able to get back on the floor. Yeah, and, and maybe with such a deep guard rotation, you don't have to play him that much. Yeah. And you let him slowly ramp up. You let him play, you know, 12, 12 to 15 minutes a game. Um, come in, make a big impact, you know, get a bunch of steals and not have to roll him out there for 30 minutes. Not like he ever was like a big minutes guy, but um, knowing that you've got more depth behind him and more guys ready to step up. Yeah. You really need him healthy for the playoffs. Yeah, definitely. Well, man, it's always great to have you on. Uh, appreciate you helping me kind of break this all down and prep for uh, the trade deadline tomorrow. And, uh, you know, we got our first kind of real four, uh, four wins out of five games since the start of the season. So uh, maybe this is a, a good sign of things to come for the, uh, for the rest of the year. And uh, maybe next time when I have you back uh, in a couple months or so, we'll be, uh, singing praise to how the Warriors turned it all around. Yeah, man, we're, we'll be looking forward to uh, to see what's sustainable and what's not, especially if they stand pat at the deadline tomorrow. So we will see. Thanks for having me on as always. Cheers, man. Have a good one. And once again, this has been a We Believe Golden State Warriors basketball podcast. If you haven't already, please give me a follow over at Twitter. That's at SD Subscribe, rate, and review the show. Thanks for tuning in, guys. 